Only you can wake yourself up out of the matrix. There's no pill to take or cable to unplug. The only reason you're still asleep is because you believe you're the dream rather than the, rather than the one who's dreaming. Just as a short introduction of who Rob is. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> that's, Hi. That's nice. Um, <laughs> nice and deep just to give a nice mood for i guess this conversation yeah hearing that quote put me right back into the you know into the morning when i wrote it where i was actually awakening from some kind of dream i don't remember mm. what i was dreaming about but that was kind of like the first thought of the day that came into my head yeah was, yeah it was yeah that's that's an interesting deep thought that you just start out with in the morning. What is what was sort of the the state that you were in back then? Because it's six of February, I think. Um, how was it then? Mm. I mean, just just this concept, just this idea that. I mean, can you read the last line of the of the quote again? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's the only reason you're still asleep is because you believe you're the dream rather than the one who's dreaming. Right, right, exactly. So it's kind of like, you know, this whole world is, is Maya, you know, according to Buddhist and Hindu philosophy. Yeah. And even even the person that we believe we are is also an illusion yet we buy into that so much and build build our lives around it and kind of hold on to this idea of a person so strongly you know to the extent that we get offended or upset or i mean have all kinds of responses to this essentially like a ghost you know that only lives because we give our energy and attention to it because we believe it into existence like that that person that ego construct or personality construct or however you want to define it it doesn't exist on its own you know it can't stand on its own two feet It only exists because of the attention and credence that this consciousness pours into it. So I guess that's that's what I woke up feeling that morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, I, lo I love like how without any warning, <laughs> you you completely are in 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 this realm of consciousness of everything and nothing and no one and ego this is really nice it reminds me immediately back to walking around the lake in in <laughs> thailand it's like right snapped me by right back into it nice <laughs> yeah that was that was a great conversation <laughs> And um, yeah, I, th I think like 
right now, like what comes to my mind is really just like, oh yeah, reminds me of that back then. But um, is what I found is also really interesting was, okay, that's, that's who you are in that sense right now. That's, I can see it's like such a deep person and um, it's, it's really awesome to have these conversations with you. But I also noticed in the, in the, what was it? A dinner that we had at the investment mm. meeting, we talked a little bit yes. about um, sort of your background, your, your story. And mm. can you bring me back into that as well? Because I think sure. it helped me a lot to understand where you're coming from. And I wanted to like dive deeper a little bit in there. So can sure. you, can you bring me back to where the, let's say, I guess, three, four year old Rob started? What, mm. what was, what did your life look like a little bit? Hmm. Um, well, I was born in rural England in like a town, not even a town, a village of about 50 people uh, at home. And our home was like a semi-detached house. So, you know, when two houses are joined together mm -hmm. and the other side was a junkyard. Okay. And so... Right. So rural England, we didn't have hot water or a roof when I was born. And uh, yeah, born at home. So that's when I was born. Mm -hmm. I don't remember it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my parents divorced when I was two. And I don't really have any memories of them being together other than like maybe some slight recollection of an argument between them or like playing uh, lions with my dad in the living room, like where we'd pretend to be lions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my mom started seeing someone, uh, I guess almost immediately because he was, he was a teacher at the school that my mom was teaching at as well. Mm -hmm. So they knew each other, you know, before my parents broke up. Um, and he, he wasn't very nice to me or my sister. I, I have an older sister as well. well. I have more than that now, but at the time, just an older sister. Okay. Um, yeah. And that, that definitely influenced my childhood, like having, like having an abusive man in the house. Mm -hmm. yeah uh what so i think can you i don't know um what exactly is always meant with like abusive was he like uh, uh, just treating you badly um verbally or also physically no also physically okay um, yeah hitting me and throwing me and kind of you know just just overpowering me mm-hmm um, but it wasn't limited to physical abuse. It was also, it was also like emotional abuse. Like, you know, if I was, you know, like, like a four-year-old, right. Crying because they're sad about something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, he'd just make fun of me. Like, oh, you're going to cry, Rob. You know, just like mocking a little child for, for crying, you know, and then he'd be like, you know, then he'd see I'd get angry at him. And he'd be yeah. like, oh, yeah, go on then, go on then, like hit me, go on on the chin, you know, like knowing that I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And then if I ever try and hit him, you know, he'd just like hit me back or you know, throw me across the room or something. <sighs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate, like those things certainly happened, but I don't want to exaggerate. It, it wasn't like, that was the case 24 seven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, multiple times a week, there would be things like that, or just even, you know, I've got memories of in the car, you know, and if I was like making too much noise or squirming around in my seat or something, you know, he'd just reach behind and just like grab my knee really hard. Mm. And, you know, just to like, you know, tell me to, shut up settle down whatever it might be yeah um just i mean all all kinds of things it was just uh you know i certainly didn't feel like free as a child you know i was like cowering um you know in his presence you know i was yeah scared and unconfident and all of those things with this yeah with this man being in the house Okay. So that that definitely shaped my childhood. I can totally imagine. <laughs> like, yeah. That's yeah. that's experiences that you don't really forget that easily. Yeah, and it's not about just forgetting. It's you know, as a child is growing up, their how they view the world, their brain is being wired, right? It's yeah. being constructed. So it's not like they have a healthy uh, a healthy ego and a healthy interaction with the world and a healthy way of viewing things. And then they just have some isolated, mm-hmm. scary or traumatic experiences. It's like their whole worldview is being, is being shaped yeah. you know, as they're growing up. So it's not just a matter of uh, having traumatic experiences that cannot be forgotten, but they have to be, you know, as, as you know, we all have trauma, but it has to be proactively addressed and worked through as an adult, you know, to see how these experiences uh, affected our worldview and our ways of being and thinking and what we believe. Mm-hmm. And to consciously see that, oh, wow, like those ways of being and thinking aren't beneficial anymore you know like they were they were survival techniques you know like kids are extremely adaptable they will do what they need to do to survive yeah so we develop ways of being yeah in order to get by but once those ways of being are no longer necessary you know it's it's best to drop them and develop healthier patterns yeah, I think that yeah. that was such an important point that you just mentioned to really state how important it is to um, have a childhood that's showing you how the world works, because we learn so much, like, 
some psychologists say we basically create our whole base of how we judge things in the first uh, I think four or seven years different uh, uh, dif differs sometimes but yeah around those ages we form mm. our whole reality that we basically compare the external experiences too and can judge mm. oh that's good that's not good I, I like that I don't like that and if that then what you described is those experiences shape your reality of what you think is right or it's just uh, what's happening I guess that's indeed really, yeah I mean you really... have no other option as a child other than to accept that this is reality because you have no alternative right like there's no yeah. other option that you can go to as an adult you can leave right you can decide where you spend your time yeah. but you can't as a child yeah so you have to accept that this is the way the world is and that learning to accept abuse is yeah it's pretty sad for anyone to learn to accept abuse yeah how did yeah. you then how did it continue then was he um throughout your whole teenage years as well or or how yeah yeah i mean well until i was uh, it was either 13 or 14 i don't remember exactly how old i was but i remember the moment because <laughs> mm -hmm. he was getting you know pissed and you know gonna hit me or something and i just wasn't maybe it's not true to say i wasn't scared anymore but my fear was no longer uh, going to control me. So I said, you know, what are you going to do? Hit me? Like, come on, let's go. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And from that day on, he never hit me again. Wait, so you did you hit him or you were just showing no. that you were not scared? Just, yeah. And I didn't hit him. I was just, just showing that like you know your dominating you know power trip bullshit isn't gonna control me anymore mm. how did he react in that situation I, he didn't hit me and he never hit me again <laughs> wow so so he obviously didn't want to you know he wasn't starting fights with adults you know, he was just picking on a helpless child. Like as mm. soon as that child stood up to him, he stopped. That's that's quite powerful, actually. Like realizing yeah. that that you are in your own power, and sort of also other people pick up on that, right? When you believe in your own um, abilities or just who you are, that other people recognize that and yeah as you can see in that situation like yeah. they might be even scared to continue picking on you yeah okay yeah did you like go back to that situation and you know what did that do to you in in hindsight mm -hmm. what that particular yeah moment did you realize in the moment already that something was dr dramatically changing? Um, I wouldn't say I realized anything dramatic, but I certainly knew that I was responding in a way that I hadn't responded before. 
mm-hmm. but also that option, it was never available to me before, right? Like an, an eight-year-old can't say, come on, yeah, hit me, let's go, because you just get fucking hit, Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> Whereas a 14-year-old can say, come on, hit me, let's go. And then they know that, okay, maybe he'll still win a fight, but I'm going to get some punches in. Yeah. Right? It's not... Uh, so I just never had that option available to me before. So I guess as soon as it was available, I, I took it. <laughs> awesome. Like that you figured, like at some point, I guess, were able to change that. Because I also quite often when we get into this pattern of, oh, that's the way we have a relationship with that person, we often stay mm-hmm. in the same pattern if nothing external or something changes that oh he always was able to treat me like that and that's just how our pattern is of an abusive relationship relationship but then you had the chance yeah, to I guess, to change it yeah it was never a, you know it was never a willing participation from me yeah whereas you know, there are adults who, you know, voluntarily enter or stay in abusive relationships, right? And that's terrible. And it's got its own other set of things. But for me, it was never a voluntary entering or staying. Yeah, it was just what I had to accept. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember the day, the day they told us they were getting married, you know, me and my older sister just burst into tears. <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, obviously, right? We didn't yeah. want this guy in our lives. <laughs> yeah. How was then your your relationship with your uh, with your mom? Because did you tell her about it or what was going oh, on? Oh, she knew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah yeah. She, yeah. yeah. she was well aware. And you know, yeah, that that really damaged my relationship with my mom. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I think a, a mother's primary role is to protect her children right that's mm-hmm. like number one and she wasn't doing that <laughs> so yeah yeah and then that that was the time what when did they tell you that they were getting married was it also around 14 or no 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 i was like six. Oh, okay so, so they, my parents divorced when I was two. I think her and this guy, you know, kind of moved in together when I was around three mm-hmm. and then married when I was like six. Yeah. How do you see him right now? Because you just said my mom and this guy moved in. What is your perspective of him right now? If you want to share that yeah 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 i don't mind sharing i'm just kind of like i'm just thinking yeah someone who's you know weak mm. and hasn't you know hasn't addressed their own traumas and someone who you know ha- has has run away from confronting themselves 
Yeah. Okay. That's, um, I feel like a worked, let's say a worked through uh, perspective. So you, I guess you spend some time with that as well to like really see Absolutely. not him as, oh, he's just the guy who hurt me, but rather seeing him from like a third person perspective almost, oh, that's what he was doing. And, and you were able to, I guess, detach a little bit from that ex those experiences or to, I guess, just work them through. You know, that, that's the craziest thing, Julian, because that, that suffering of my childhood, in all honesty, I took it, hmm, that's not even the right way to say it. It was used as, as a vehicle. Okay, I'll, I'll explain. Yeah, <laughs> please. So that became a big part of my identity, right? Someone mm. who suffered abuse through childhood. Mm. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I would sit mulling over it all the time, but it would be like, oh, you know, that's why I, you know, act this way, right? That's why I, you know, am that way or whatever. And, you yeah. know, and, and that's true, right? Like, you know, <laughs> a trauma as a child, you know, affects you and, and yeah. it certainly does, does affect you. So, yeah. but, but that, you know, we identify with many things, you know, that could be identifying as a whatever basketball player or someone who's good at math or someone who enjoys horseback riding or someone, I mean, it could be anything, right? Someone who mm -hmm. likes travel, whatever. And of course I identified with many things, but a, a big one was someone who was abused as a child. And I think for almost I think for, for almost everyone, what people tend to identify with more are things that they, I was going to say things that they don't like or, or things that they have suffered through. And I don't know if that's true. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, it's, it's in, indeed like it's a, it's a difficult one to say whether that's that identify more with it or not, but it's, I don't know, the first thought that comes up to my mind right now is things that either are routinely happening that's just going on continuously over a long mm. period of time. I think that's, that might also be um, a a reason why you identify with it because it's just over and over and over again or mm. what you or what i guess one could also see is oh i have been through a traumatic experience and that's sort of shaping me right now of mm. whether it's like having been to war or having had a 
um, survived a, a cancer than your cancer survivor in a way, right? So those important mm. things that you deem as important, I guess, that mm. you judge as, okay, that was really something that psychologically changed me in a way or had long-lasting effects. I think that's I, I, what I would say right now, just my, my personal opinion yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Does that sort of seem true to you? Yeah. Yeah. And where I was going with when I said it was used as a vehicle. Yeah. Was. So when we started this conversation, I, I was talking about, you know, the personality, the ego structure. Yeah. And how that is essentially uh, a hallucination, right? A dream. Like it, it has no existence on its own. It, it, only, it only exists. It only uh, is fed by the energy and identification and thoughts that we feed it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so in that way, I really used this, this idea of someone who had suffered abuse to really be able to see that, okay, consciousness, awareness, the pure I am is untouchable. Right? The ability to perceive, not what is perceived or what is felt or what is experienced, but the ability to experience itself. That is the irreducible nature of who and what we are. Everyone. All things, in fact. Like that, that is the... That is the true I am. And being able to kind of inhabit that space or just be in awareness, be in consciousness and perceiving, even perceiving, you know, the egoic structure, right? The personality. It really allowed me to, to, to see that, yes, all of those things happened, but they are not what I am. Like, yes, Robbie had an abusive childhood, but what I truly am beyond Robbie is consciousness beyond any phenomena is just consciousness. And that has never been touched. That's never been marred. It, it cannot be. It doesn't change. It's whole. It's complete. It's, it has always existed and it will always <laughs> exist. And I think that having... Having something so traumatic that I 
did strongly identify with mm -hmm. was almost helpful to create that distinction and the separation between the personality ego structure and the consciousness. Okay, so did I get that right? That you basically just said that this traumatic experience helped you to see things more clearly because they were, I guess, shown to, to extremes where you could finally really identify differences between, I guess, the ego, the personality and the consciousness or awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I was, I was looking, right? Where is this? Where is this Robbie? Right? Where, where is this? Where is this person? And, you know, it's a, it may be a good exercise to try with yourself, or it may just sound insane. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for me, It, it was it was amazing because I could not pin it. There was no ego, there was no personality structure that's like, oh, there's I, right? There's the I. Like when I say, oh, I'm whatever, I'm going to the shops, you know, this is my friend, you know, I, whatever, I'm having a glass of water. What is that I referring to? That I or that me? Hmm. What is that referring to? And I looked and looked and looked, and there was no, there was no entity there. That's why I say that it doesn't really exist. You know, as in it can't stand on its own two feet. Mm -hmm. It exists only by the energy and the power and the belief that we invest in it. Hmm. And I think having, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was helpful or not having the traumatic experience, but it was traumatic rather, but it would, it certainly, it was something that I strongly identified with, mm -hmm. right? And did invoke a lot of um, emotion. And so it was, it was, having something that you so strongly identify with and then being able to see that, wow, that's not actually me. Like, I think that's more profound than having something you weakly identify with and then seeing that that's not really me. Mm. Yeah, I see. So really like noticing, no, I do not identify with that helped you like the strong reaction. Well Yeah, and it's 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 not even a belief. I do not identify with that. It's the this consciousness, right? This awareness, this ability to perceive and experience beyond or be, before and beyond all form and phenomena never was abused. Mm, I see. Right, this consciousness is untouchable. And this consciousness is, is, it is what I am. 
because the the personality ego structure that's had all of these you know life stories and experiences and beliefs and thoughts and everything else mm -hmm. there's no entity there there mm. is no i there unless we believe there is <laughs> okay yes and you you were just also saying Does that, that yeah i think it, it does make sense i want to uh, like mm. ask a bit more in depth there because i because to some extent i i see that the ego at least in uh in the younger years is sort of necessary in order to know like to have the human experience let's say to notice what's in that sense what's me what's others just for sort of the human Absolutely. community uh, like Absolutely. living with other human beings and, Absolutely. and then and and i'm not and i'm not claiming that i don't have an ego now not at all okay but but i but i don't believe that that is the you know fundamental nature of of i mm. I, I don't believe that that is what i am it's like yes there's an ego yes i experience ego but it's not like it's not my core identity it's not your core identity so you there's a difference for you between the ego and your identity well the fundamental irreducible self is consciousness is awareness that like you can't get more core than that like that that is the core mm -hmm of everyone and everything but for most of us we put even though we may have had experiences that reveal that to us we invest more of our energy more of our identity more of our self in our egoic personality construct rather than in the awareness consciousness And just to bring it a little bit down towards, I guess, your everyday life. Yeah. To what extent do you think it is necessary, though, to have this a little, an sort of egoic structure in order to to be, I guess, in communities and contact with other people? Uh, because I, I guess it would be easy to just like, oh, I'm awareness. Uh, nothing else exists and I'm in a cave in the mountains <laughs> but yeah when and, there, when and there are other people some around, people have chosen to do yeah that. yeah that's why yeah. I said it like yeah. I, I get why people do that because other things like um, I guess our triggers our irritability our wounds cannot be triggered by the humans by the interaction with other human beings or situations mm. and in because I, I'm not sure where or why, but it does feel that an ego is useful to an extent. I think, like you said before, it's a necessary uh, step or a necessary experience. It's like... Uh, are you aware with the pre-trans fallacy? 
no. that's talked about in like integral circles and things. Okay. Um, it's like, it's not possible to move beyond ego if someone never developed an ego in the first place. Right. Mm. So, so it's a necessary, yeah, step of, of evolution. So seeing the, the idea of the ego is basically just something that sort of is part of the human experience that we needed to, to experience. Um, Absolutely. Some, sometimes the, the idea of our consciousness ex is experiencing itself sounds really interesting to me because this, for example, rings them true as well. It's trying to just see what's there. What happens if there's an ego? What happens if there's no ego? What happens if they overcome it? What, mm. You know, just letting humans experience human experiences and yeah. seeing what happens. <laughs> now we made a, a little detour into your mm. complete ego structure, but I still want to continue a little bit on um, what happened after the, the I guess, 14 year old um, okay. first resistance, what experiences <laughs> were, were happening after that? Sure, sure. Um, so my childhood was a bit unusual in that we moved around to different countries a lot. So, like I said, I was born in England, but we left when I was eight. So this is with my mom, my stepdad, my older sister, and myself mm -hmm. moved to the Philippines. Mm. And my, my parents were teaching at international schools. So we were two years in the Philippines, uh, four years in Uganda, and adopted uh, my little brother and sister mm -hmm. while we were in Uganda. And my sister left home and she graduated high school. And then so me and my mom and my stepdad and my younger brother and sister moved to Bangladesh. Hmm. So I was in Bangladesh from 14 to 16. So this, when I stood up to my stepdad, that was still in Uganda. So like okay. I said, it was either 13 or 14. Yeah. But 14 to 16 was in Bangladesh. I arrived when I was 14, so I had my fourth birthday in Uganda. Anyway. <laughs> um, in Bangladesh, we had a field trip that really, that really touched me. It was okay. really, really quite profound. We went to uh, Borneo mm -hmm. <laughs> on a school trip and stayed with the Iban tribe in the jungle okay so this was like you know a few hours by bus from the nearest town and then i don't know how many hours by boat just up river deep into the jungle oh wow with a school trip yeah yeah with a school trip <laughs> yeah that, that's why i had to preface this with like we moved around different countries a lot because obviously some 
little local school in rural England is not going to have a school trip for Borneo and stay with a headhunting tribe, right? That, yes. <laughs> wow. But okay. Yeah. We did from Bangladesh. Yeah. With the headhunting tribe. <laughs> they no longer hunted heads, but in the past they were a headhunting tribe. Yes. Okay. And anyway, so why this was so profound is that, okay, so the village, they lived in long houses, right? So it's like the whole village living together. Different mm -hmm. families had like compartments in the long house, but it was, you know, everyone living together. Um, the girls from our class, they had like their own building that they slept in. But mm -hmm. the boys, we slept on the porch of the longhouse with like the chickens and the dogs, <laughs> which was which was awesome. <laughs> and the and the porch was kind of like um, it was the communal space of the longhouse as well, right? So that's where people would gather and talk and you know tell stories and you know drink together or smoke together or whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Anyway, just the whole experience was so profound because I'd never experienced anything like that before. It's like, imagine. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like the women in this tribe were topless and, you know, breastfeeding their babies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And everyone was looking after everyone's kids. Mm. You know, if people went hunting or fishing, they'd bring back food for the whole village, right? There was no like, me and mine mm. <laughs> like that just it didn't exist in that culture right it's like everything is you know like the villages is, is like one family yeah and uh anyway that that was really profound what did also that around trigger this, you what did that trigger in you like what was the profound experience it, for you exactly well it triggered that i wanted to not necessarily live that way, but I was certainly attracted to living that way. Mm -hmm. But it made me realize that I don't want to live like the life I'm currently living. Mm. Like, you know, like, like a student that like goes, wakes up and goes to school and does homework and sports and goes home or whatever. Right. Like just like regular yeah. life. Like that, that's not like, this is so much better. <laughs> yeah. And also around the same time. So between, 14 and 16 um i started smoking weed quite a lot mm -hmm. and i started meditating and you know even like i would ask my you know my mum, you know how to meditate and you know, she couldn't really give me any guidance on that but what i would do was so weed was kind of like my gateway into meditation like people call it a gateway drug well it, it yeah. was for me into, med into meditation <laughs> rather than into harder drugs <laughs> so i'd i'd like i we lived in an apartment building with a flat roof mm -hmm. and i'd go up on the roof and smoke or i'd smoke in my bathroom like with the shower running <laughs> and then go in my room and lay down on my bed and just do like uh like body awareness meditation mm -hmm right feeling the breath going in and out feeling the heartbeat feeling the sensation and you know your hands and fingers and body and i, I would do this 
a lot, like multiple times a week for, you know, I don't know how long I do it each time, maybe 45 minutes to an hour or so. Oh, wow. And that was like, yeah, that was, that was really my gateway in, into meditation. Yeah. So at the age of like, yeah, 14, I, I, I wanted to go and live with the Ban tribe or in Tibet with like Tibetan Buddhist monks. I'd never met a Tibetan Buddhist monk, but I figured that, you know, they had something of what I was looking for. <laughs> My parents were not happy with either of these decisions. <laughs> I can imagine. So uh, I, I, I stayed in school. Right. I guess, yeah, I, I could okay. have run away and left home, but I didn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I stayed in school and did the regular things. Um, when I was 16, my dad got uh, typhoid and was really sick in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. So we ended up moving back to England, um, which was really weird for me. So I, I just finished 11th grade mm -hmm. in Bangladesh yeah. and has good grades. I think... I think I had one C, all the rest were like A's and B's, if I remember properly. Anyway, like okay. good grades, finished yeah. 11th grade, moved back to England, and that just, it totally killed me because, you know, I was going to international schools where the standard of education is, you know, really high mm -hmm. with, you know, sons and daughters of, ambassadors and, and diplomats and, yeah. and highly educated people. Yeah. And then going back to England, I went to like, you know, a community college with 20,000 students, like in, in like the inner city, right. Mm. Which is just completely different where like, there was no real like student teacher relationship. The quality of the education was really poor. Um, I couldn't relate to anyone, right? These are like countryside yeah. English teenagers, and I just wasn't, just just couldn't relate. It's not that they were, you know, bad people or anything. It's just that our lives experience was was so different. Um, yeah, so I, I I got you know I got kind of depressed. I basically like stopped going to school. I was failing my classes. And, you know, my parents recognized this. <laughs> oh, wow. That was such and, a dramatic shift then. Like from yeah. really this student in Bangladesh, you had, I guess, sort of build your tribe, even though it was changing quite often, that you mm. got adjusted yeah, I, to. I, I, had, I had good friends in Bangladesh. Yeah. And then were ripped out of that again. And a new one, a new community college now with people you couldn't even really relate to because of so many different experiences that you had already that they probably yeah. will never have in their whole life. Right. Okay. And then you stopped and going so, to school and... Yeah, and I was getting crappy grades. I had like an hour and a half bus ride there and then an hour and a half bus ride back just oh, to wow. get to class. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So it was also interesting because we were living in the same house that I grew up in. 
oh. where all of this, you know, abuse took place and, and whatever. Oh, so okay. That's that was kind of interesting yeah. as well. Yeah. And yeah, just coupled with, you know, three hours on a bus just to go to classes that were crap anyway, it just wasn't inspiring at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to leave. <laughs> And I, so I was 17 at the time. I hadn't, hadn't yet finished uh, high school or community college. And basically, my mum would let me drop out and leave on the condition that I did Baha'i volunteer work. Mm-hmm. So Baha'i is a religion that oh, okay. my family is. So my... Uh, my mum and dad were like young Baha'is when they met. They divorced. And then my mum taught, you know, my stepdad, her husband, about the Baha'i faith and he became a Baha'i. So, yeah, so it's like my, my family are Baha'i. Is there any, because I didn't really hear about it, is there anything close or related to that religion? Um, I mean, not really. It It kind of... So in the same way that uh, Christ was a Jew, right? Like he mm-hmm. grew up in a Jewish family, Jewish culture. You know, I, I, it, this is, you know, please don't take offense. Anyone who's Christian, listen to this. So like he grew up in a Jewish family and Jewish culture. Like that, that's, that's the way I mean it. Um, in the same way, the founder of the Baha'i faith uh, is from Iran. So he grew up in a, you know, Muslim family, Muslim culture. Mm. But it's not. You know, but I mean, I, I guess Christianity and Judaism are pretty different and Islam and the Baha'i faith are pretty different as well. Okay. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a fairly recent religion. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was like the mid 1800s that it was, it was founded. So there are some quite kind of, um, progressive ideas such as you know like the equality of men and women and mm. education for all and uh you know, all religions come from the same one god and this kind of thing okay i guess i i can i can check it out later a bit more um <laughs> but but now i i, I now you s- went on the condition out of high school that you could do volunteer work right that I could do Baha'i volunteer work, which oh, wasn't Baha'i, really yeah. to, to do. Um, okay. But if that meant leaving home, I was like, yes, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to get out of here. <laughs> Just want to get out of here, exactly. So my mum had some connections with Baha'is in Thailand. And so I ended up coming here to Chiang Mai, where I currently am, when I was 17 doing Baha'i volunteer work. Oh, wow. But yeah. have you have you stayed there all the time? No. Oh, no, okay. no. So I was here from like 17 to 20 years old. Yeah. Um, and then I've come and gone since, but never like lived here full time. Mm. And now I've been here since December 2019. So a little over two years, like has been, you know, this past solid bit. But before that, it was just like months here and there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. And there, there was still one other experience in the meantime that I found interesting um, mm. that you, you told me um, at some point. And that was, you were also eventually, well, not with the Tibetan monks, but, or, or were you, but still living as a monk for some time. Yeah, so that, that was in Thailand. So that was here in Chiang Mai. Mm. Um, so I came, did, did a year of Baha'i volunteer work, which was like, I was caretaker of the Baha'i Center and organizing like meetings there um, and like teaching some English classes to some you know, youth and just a, a few different things. But during that year, I met one of the Baha'is here in Chiang Mai. His name was Shahram. And he was really like the first, the first person I'd met who could actually kind of answer some questions <laughs> I had. Because I wasn't really that interested in religion, but I was really interested in spiritual growth and enlightenment and meditation and that whole side of things, right? The whole kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, what, what side of things would you call that? It's not really religion. It's more like spirituality it's, or maybe like, I would actually say it's like your personal development in a way towards yeah. just really understanding things. You want to, you're curious right. and I just want to know what's up. How, how does that, that work? The that's world. a great way to put it. It's like, yeah. I want to understand yeah, myself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. with that also, like the world and everything, how how things are affecting you, what other things are out there other than just myself, knowing or noticing that it's pretty similar what's going on internally and outside. Mm. I mean, for me, the draw, it wasn't really to understand about how the world works. It was more okay. to understand about about yeah spiritual growth like what you know what is enlightenment and and how do i get there <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what it is but i do have the feeling i want to go there so can you yeah. tell me first why or yeah. what it is that i want to go for and then tell me how to get there <laughs> that's interesting it's like oh i've never heard of this country the philippines but i want to go there how do i get there <laughs> and what is it <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. So you had a, like an internal longing that just... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, oh, that okay. was the desire for, you know, you know, when I was wanting to learn meditation back when I was 14. It, it was all, yeah, it's, it's all connected. Anyway, mm. so this guy, Sharon, was... So he, he was a Baha'i living here in Chiang Mai, but he was the first person that I could talk to and, and he you know he had experience with meditation and uh what enlightenment might be and all of these kind of things which mm -hmm. i'd you know i'd never had interactions with someone who had pursued these things before mm. <laughs> so he became like my teacher and uh yeah and and i became like uh like a monk under his guidance at okay. the time, which is 
that's got nothing to do with the Baha'i faith. There's no monkhood in the Baha'i faith, but we mm. just both happened to be Baha'is that were interested in enlightenment. <laughs> 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 and so I, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I would do things like wake up at four in the morning and, and meditate for two hours and wear white clothes every day, only eat like two small meals a day. Um, you know, no, no alcohol, no drugs, no sex, uh, you know, cut my hair short and, you know, so essentially living as a monk, but not in a monastery. Oh, okay. So we're doing all of this just in your own apartment or the space you rented or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and I would meet with Sharam pretty much daily. Okay. And we would go to temples and, you know, I'd like read scripture and pray and meditate and we'd meet other monks. And, you know, that, that, that would be what our days consisted of. <laughs> <laughs> so you just met with a dude and <laughs> you both were like, I don't know really what, uh, what, what enlightenment is. Or he had at least some, some idea of let's try go at it. And let's just live like a monk in our own apartments. Let's go. To say well, a bit okay, bluntly. So, was, was that... Uh, okay, I'll, I'll put some things in context. So he, okay. at the time, so I was like 17 when I arrived, right? I had my birthday shortly after. So I was like 18 mm -hmm. when this started. And Sharam, I don't know how old he was at the time, maybe like mm, mid-40s. Mm -hmm. And... You know, he'd already had, um, you know, dedicated a lot of his life to meditation and spirituality and martial arts too, actually. He was like a big martial arts teacher in, in Portugal. Oh, okay. Um, and different, yeah, so he, he definitely had a lot more experience in these things than I did. It wasn't like mm. two guys who didn't have a clue were like, okay, let's, yeah. let's be monks. Yeah. That, that, so that sounded a little bit like, like oh, maybe he's like three years ahead and then just like two bros, like, let's be monks now. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> okay. it, it wasn't like that. <laughs> Although that, that would have been cool too. Yeah. <laughs> this de determination of like two dudes, like, I want to figure out what, what enlightenment is and completely change their whole life. Okay, so he had like some some idea, some knowledge about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But he, he was also kind of um, he was also kind of delusional, which I would come to recognize as time went on. Mm. And uh, yeah, so eventually, after like I said, like a year of of living this way. Uh, you know, I separated from him and went to India, like, like went on a, like a personal pilgrimage to, to India again in, in pursuit of truth. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. So, I mean, this, yeah, kind of fun. So I, 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 I wanted to originally walk yeah. so from Thailand through Myanmar to India, but that really wasn't possible given the you know political climate in Myanmar. It just wouldn't be safe to yeah. walk on your own through the jungles of Myanmar. 
Um, so I flew. I, I flew to Calcutta. <laughs> and I, I'm still like wearing all white and short hair and eating little and stuff at this time. Oh, wow. okay. But um, got my bag off the you know carousel at the airport. Mm-hmm. And I just started walking towards Varanasi because I heard that Varanasi was some kind of spiritual center in India. <laughs> and I, I had a compass. Oh, I had really? a compass. And yeah, I literally followed a compass bearing to, to Varanasi. <laughs> oh my God. So you went in a completely different country, don't know the culture there. You'd have a compass. And just heard. I mean, I, I lived in Bangladesh for two years, Fair. so it wasn't like I was Fair. completely unaware of the culture. But yeah. Fair. But but then you just have a compass and let's let's go to yeah. to that temple or, or that organization that you heard of that, was probably that, that, in the direction the you wanted. Oh, city. Oh, sorry. Actually, it's a city. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's yeah. one of the oldest um, inhabited cities on earth. I don't know if it's the oldest, oh, but it's definitely I one. I didn't know it's that. It's like four thousand year old city or something. Mm. like on the on the Ganges I mean it's a very like you know special place or spiritual place or whatever okay. in, in India whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah. I only heard from uh, Rishikesh that that was also a place where people go to for mm. spirituality absolutely so Rishikesh is just upstream right so Rishikesh ah, okay. is in the mountains but the same Ganges river and it comes mm. down through through okay and then you just you found it, I presume, with the compass. Yeah, yeah, found it. Uh, I didn't walk the whole way. I walked for about a week, so I would like, you know, I would some would come up. I'd start walking. I'd you know stop for lunch or whatever, and then continue walking. And then wherever the sun went down, I just that's where I'd sleep. So it could be on the side of the road. It could be if someone offered me a place to stay. It could be. It could be whatever, right? <laughs> wow, I'm I'm a little um, bit like that. Sounds crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was kind of crazy. Okay, but it's, okay, but it, it was it was a pilgrimage. Like that's what Fair. it was, right? Yeah, and and I think pilgrimage. I think that's what it is, right? It's having a clear goal in mind, not just of a physical destination, but of like a a way of being also and it's and and it's it's just pursuit of that right it's not caring about creature comforts or other people or any of those things like yeah. it's it's a true pilgrimage yeah hmm. and, and but, uh, but the the you i don't know for me it's how did you just say okay i want to do a pilgrimage now and just go to this Indian city out of I don't know. nowhere. It sounded like know. it and it was out of nowhere. Yeah, it was kind of out of nowhere, but I was, just, I don't know. I was just drawn to it. Okay. Yeah, so you, I don't you're know. following I, quite I, your, I, I figured that there was, you know, I was going to learn something in India. I didn't mm-hmm. know what, but that I, should probably go. <laughs> what what was that? What was telling you that? Um, 
meaning or the question goes in the direction of was that a thought that just passed by was that again like an internal longing that you had was that your heart speaking was that you you got feeling pointing at something mm, i think it was a mixture of all of the above but it was like you know i was well aware that india has a very um profound spiritual tradition of mm -hmm. enlightenment mm -hmm. right like that you know i was well aware of that and it seemed like you know if it was going to be alive anywhere that that's where it would probably be i mean there's so many you know great spiritual teachers from india it, it, it's it's like it's it's understood in the in the culture there you know mm -hmm. they have um you know, like old men who just like once they've retired out of their job, they just wear white and like walk around the country, right? Like babas, like that. That's what they do. They have, oh, I can't think of the name anymore. They they wear orange. A bunch of them have dreadlocks. What is the name? Sadhu. They oh, just sadhus, have sadhus. Yeah. Right. Who are just you know. So all of this is just accepted as part of culture there, and it's it's not people who are like ordained as monks right it's just like oh yeah that dude's pursuing truth or enlightenment or whatever like cool good luck right it's just like accepted there it's it's, yeah. it's part of the culture yeah fear <laughs> okay <laughs> just have dudes walking a wide around and pursuing enlightenment seems yeah. seems, a, seems a bit foreign <laughs> i guess that's the right word uh, here in yeah. well here um meaning europe where i grew up let's say like that because <laughs> now right. in uruguay it's also i guess a bit different they don't they don't have those people walking around here either but um and yeah e even thailand where you know it's a buddhist country there's thousands yeah. of temples and monks and stuff but still in thailand it's kind of like oh you're a lay person that you do normal person things and you also can pray and go to temple and meditate and things but yeah or you're a monk right yeah yeah whereas like in india there's, there's no real delineation it's like you can you can have a family and live at an ashram in india and like have a job and stuff mm. or you can just be like a sadhu completely on your own just walking around naked right with a stick <laughs> <you know? laughs> or or you could be a monk at a temple or something it's just like there's no it's just accepted as like okay like mm -hmm. people are in pursuit of truth and enlightenment like yeah. wherever they are in life yeah <laughs> this sounds um incredible also like hearing now your life story because that much in detail we didn't talk about it right um so i i, f I feel very I guess more open-minded or opened in a way um mm. just also a little bit um surprised didn't didn't expect that either um but there was still like after hearing this incredible life story i'm like it makes more sense of who you are right now i get it more mm. this is amazing I, I understand more why you are the person that you you are right now um, but still, the question then just came up because yeah. you were 
um, at some point having on your website or as a coach, you were coaching mm. for purpose and you were telling me that as well, that that was a direction. But in the short yeah. talk we had before, you said it changed, but still, okay. Yeah. Yeah. How, how is your, I guess, relationship right now to purpose after, you know, well, and just for me, new story that I heard, but for you right now. My relationship to purpose. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> so the way that it's changed is not so much to have, okay, purpose before and even the coaching that I did before mm -hmm. was to help people identify purpose, right? So identify their skills and strengths and interests and how to, you know, align those in a way that is of service to others and fulfilling for themselves, right? Mm. So it's like a way, yeah, basically, right? In a nutshell. Yeah. But now, yeah, that's completely changed with, with this, with this realization that the egoic structure personality self is not really who we are. Mm -hmm. I'm not really interested in developing that for myself or to help other people develop that. I'm much more interested in bringing people to their fundamental nature, which is awareness, which is consciousness. Does that make sense? I think it does. Um, especially after, you know, all the detours that we had where you were explaining that a little bit, the consciousness awareness. Um, so that as far as I understand it right now, you, you basically want to go a step further of uh, purpose is still part of the egoic structure that you described. Um, and even though yeah, it, is, it is necessary. Purpose is still kind of like, okay, let's, let's find a direction for this, you know, egoic construct self-identity to, you know, align with and pursue, right? Yeah, yeah. That's like what purpose is. But if the purpose changes to simply rest in the awareness, rest in the consciousness. That doesn't mean sit in meditation all day, right? It doesn't mean don't do anything, but it means that what we do is not planned in the same way. It's not coming from, it's not planned from the egoic personality structure, right? It's like directions is kind of, it's dictated from the heart and from response to the moment rather than an idea of something to pursue. So basically living in the moment is, is to say it in, in simple words, um, mm. just experiencing what is there right now to I guess, to the extent that it's possible. Um, yeah. And just 
noticing and seeing everything as a sensation, what's happening around you? It's like when I, if I'm resting in my consciousness awareness, heart center, I don't know, I don't have better words for it than that. Mm -hmm. I still feel drawn to do things, right? Like I, I still felt drawn to go to the gym this morning. I still, uh, you know, I went and inquired about learning uh, massage, Thai massage, right? I went to a school and inquired about that today. Yeah. It, so it's still, it's not that we don't act. It's that it's like you allow yourself to be drawn to what is it and it is fulfilling hmm. it is just by 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 responding to that pull i find incredibly fulfilling even if it's not planned So it, it shifts this whole idea of purpose from a purpose that's like designed and made from the mind, essentially, right? From from this personality, ego, self construct, the self that we identify with, to the purpose just being an unfolding of interest and excitement and and life <laughs> through whatever it is that we are well i think to an ex yes i agree but also to an extent i think purpose for me is also mm. more like being aware of what i guess as you said like the your your things that you like that you feel drawn toward and sort mm -hmm. of just putting that into an idea or putting that into a direction and maybe just as a maybe that what you described is maybe the step behind it or after it mm -hmm. but what i see from myself as like the purpose idea is that you have some either values or things that you like that you figured out from yourself mm. and thus just putting in in sort of an, an alignment with each other or some putting that in trying to put that in in words that you can i guess recenter yourself once you get mm. off track so almost like as a, a guiding force as a north star that you notice when you got off track or where you got off track from the thing that you actually desire or thing that you actually um, see as purposeful, what you figured in a state of awareness. Because it's quite easy that sometimes we get off track in, in the state of awareness or in other, th yeah, I guess the human life. And so I feel like that's a nice guidance to bring yourself back towards that awareness what you were talking about i guess it it all depends on on our goals 
right? Like, like what we each desire. So for me, the highest desire is to live in the heart-centered awareness at the moment. Like there's, there's nothing that I actually want more than that. So for me, that is my North Star, but it's not a plan and it's not anything that takes time, right? It can be done in the moment. But if someone else's highest uh, desire is to be an architect or whatever, then by all means, they, they should pursue that and that can mm. be their guiding North Star. But my guiding North Star, like I said, it's not, it's not in the future. Right? It's not something I want to do or be or accomplish. It's, it's simply to, to be in the heart centers, conscious awareness and allow, because I know when I'm in that space, my actions and my words and how I interact with people and what I do is fulfilling mm-hmm. and joyful. So rather than having like, a purpose as let's say a goal you equated that a, a little bit it's more like your way of being is the purpose absolutely just, okay. absolutely absolutely so all or everything that you do all the actions that you take are Maybe not all, but I guess you're, you're trying to. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to claim that. <laughs> I'm not going to claim, and I'm certainly not on purpose every moment of every day. Like, yeah. hell no. I don't want to put you on the pedestal. All, all yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the, I guess your idea is to um, use that as, oh, like sometimes check in. Am I am I feeling I'm acting or, or behaving in that way that that brings me back to my heart center. Yeah, it's not even acting or behaving in a way that brings me back to my heart center. It's just, am I in my heart center? Hmm. Like that, that, that's a, it's a conscious decision at every moment. If, if I'm aware of it, right? Yeah. Like if, if, if I do pause and say, am I in my heart center? Then right then I either choose to be, or choose not to be, but there's nothing I have to do in order to get there. Hmm. Is it because that question is always pretty easy? Like, am I in my heart center? Yes or no? Hmm. Is it is it really that that you can choose? Because I notice, like, when when I get triggered in some situations um, of like a person talking about something that I disagree with or I don't like or something is mm. going not along what I expected, um, then I get into a different state and I notice yeah. it and I do not have like that, uh, let's say how instant it, the question sounded, that instant response of like, oh, I choose to be now in the heart center again. But it takes for me time to, for emotion to run through, for feeling this, for letting my thoughts come down again. Um, mm. Because in that moment, it's really difficult for me to just shift. Yes. I, I think I'm getting faster at it, <laughs> but, but it's still... But I think 
a major key with that is to just watch, right? Mm. It's like, yes, emotions come up. Yes, thoughts come up. Yes, we get aggravated and frustrated and all of the rest of those things. But the more we can watch those happen from the place of just conscious awareness where nothing changes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's our fundamental nature is just to be, to perceive, to experience, the ability to do those things. The more we can identify, and it is identify with that space, the less power we give to the egoic personality construct, which is the one who feels all of those emotions, right? The the pure awareness consciousness doesn't have those emotions. Hmm. It, they, they are perceived in the personality egoic construct. And the more we can see the personality egoic construct, the less power it has over us, right? The more we can see, oh, Look, there's uh, there's Julian getting frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than be identified with, I am Julian and I am frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Right? You see how that's totally different. You're like you're stepping back. Yeah. And seeing the egoic personality construct for what it is, rather than inhabiting it, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. But isn't it also like part of this human experience, the interesting part of being able to notice those emotions, being able to feel them. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Like, and yes, I don't it, think that experience ever goes away. Uh, okay. That's, right? that's That was the fear that I had. Like, oh, once you step out or intend to, do uh, you lose then the experience of those beautiful emotions, which some people would say they're terrible, but only, I guess, by noticing the whole spectrum of emotions, you really notice the richness and the can can enjoy them i think i think the difference between a zen master and the rest of us is that he doesn't believe that he is his ego not that he doesn't have an ego anymore not that he doesn't have emotions anymore but he doesn't believe that is what he is That makes sense. Hmm. So it's not to eradicate the ego, to get rid of it, to not experience human you, life. To you, not... you can't, you can't eradicate, like it, people who try and kill the ego or try and eradicate the ego. Who's the one trying to eradicate the ego? Yeah. That's the personality <laughs> ego construct as well. Like that's, that's a complete, yeah. Just good luck it, with that one. Just putting on a show to... I don't know, fake kill the ego because the ego is yeah, the whole thing. It could be done with good intentions too, but it's still a delusion, right? Like we can't eradicate or overcome or kill the ego. No, we can watch. We can watch the ego acting, right? We can rest mm-hmm. in awareness and watch the thoughts and the emotions and everything of the personality construct. We can do that. That's possible. But we can't kill the ego. Because who's the one killing the ego? That's another, it's another, it's another 
ghost of self. It's another falsehood. That's true. I feel that's true. I cannot disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. And after we've, I feel like this is a, a, a beautiful closure of this topic of mm. the ego structure. And we've talked already for a while. I don't see the exact time actually. But yeah, I, um, I haven't looked at my phone once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that that for me was a very, very <laughs> enlightening. Um, no, just like bring like really understanding your perspective, understanding mm. your story was really, really nice. I really understand now, now in the end also where this is coming from. And I think also putting that in context of your experiences is super, super valuable. Mm. So that makes a lot more sense now um, to me than, than after we spoke at the lake, actually, because that was still like quite in the air. Um, and now it makes a lot more sense where this is coming from. So I get, mm. and get to understand it even better. It's really nice. So I'd like to hear what specifically makes more sense now. Um, I was I was a bit wondering where this, I guess, sort of pursued a little bit came from, maybe also um, this this, I guess, almost feels a little bit um, the development towards the um, being able to step out of the ego game every once in a while, being able to mm. really have maybe also this little bit control over um, the what's going on in your life by giving up this control. Um, and I don't know, like your experiences in your childhood, your experiences um, yeah, also with coming back then to England, the the feeling I sometimes got from from you of like, you don't really fit into a category. I usually, you know, you, we have mm. categories in our minds like, okay, this person is more in that direction. This is more there. But you didn't fit anywhere. <laughs> mm. And this makes a lot more sense right now because you have so what that or some different experiences that other people might not have which shape you a lot um also the tribe in borneo the traveling around um being on on different continents different cultures um it's maybe like a um what's it called the a picture that you like paint out with like a lot of different colors and, like from those so many different experiences you have this vast colorful um uh, picture or or painting of experiences which is really cool to see 
but it also kind of fits then misplaced in some other areas when you just put it next to like complete yellow one it's like wait something is off here so that was that that i think that got a lot more clear to me that oh okay i understand why you maybe also were open to going to let's let's check out the living like a monk let's check out um how this is because you were so open or at least experienced in having different experiences that you were not scared mm. of that yeah yeah that's true i hadn't thought of it like that because but like, yeah i think if, that's true because i was forced into so many different experiences and ways of being as a child yeah it was like and i don't mean bad i just mean like you know from different culture to culture and yeah house to house and friend group to friend group and school to school it it did uh yeah i guess it was a lot easier to try new things because that's kind of the only life that i knew anyway yeah and i i do notice that a little bit with me as well now after i started traveling a bit more i'm a lot more open to just putting myself into a context that i don't know yet how it will be and I noticed the different reaction that my parents or other people have lived in, let's say my, my little village for their whole life, um, that this seems completely insane, what I'm doing right now. Right, right. And for me, it's like, oh, it's, it's just another experience I would like to explore. Mm. I like this, this novelty of me putting myself into a context or situation that I learn. I'm like, I don't know, I feel like I'm a bit fanatic about just really learning th new things. And this is one of the best ways to learn really something completely new by getting into a new culture. And nice. yeah, for me, this is now part of how I live. But for other people, that seems totally insane putting yourself in so dangerous in their opinion situations because they have never right. experienced something similar like it and so yeah that's why i think i can relate or understand that now a little bit better because i've you know parts of it as well in me right now growing with every country i'm going to mm. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, and it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, you know, we touched briefly on this during the conversation as well, but just one of your questions was where did that idea come from, right? To be a monk or to go to India or whatever yeah. it might be for you. It's like to travel to different countries, to do a podcast, to, uh, you know, learn psychology, to... I, you know, I don't know that much about your life, but we all have these pulls within us. And I think that, you know, we're all going to be attracted to different things. But I think as long as we are on, as long as we're following that inner pull of whatever we're interested in and whatever we desire, whatever we want to experience, you know, as long as we're following that inner pull, it's like we can't really go wrong. Like that is fulfilling. If, if, if you're following your own pull, then you will be fulfilled, right? Like 
and that's unique for everyone. Mm. I resonate really strongly with that right now, because that was essentially the reason why I did this again, doing this podcast again, because mm, I had for, nice. for, for weeks and months, again, this pull towards the deeper conversations, the, the amazing depth of emotions, but it's shared experience, just talking to another person is such a is opening almost another universe of of shared experiences. When you just tap into the story of another person, you share it, we, um, you feel the connection that that builds during that conversation. And that's, I don't know, for me, just gives me energy after those conversations, even though it's now, I don't know, one and a half hours, maybe. It's such a energy giving um, act, which is weird, because usually you should be exhausted after this. But I just feel I want to have another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. And, and, and I think that that is, I think that that's natural, you know, like when we're following what we find exciting and interesting and that inner pull, like it does energize us. Yeah, it really does. Whereas if we're, you know, laying around or on the bed all day, you know, binge watching a Netflix series, we might feel tired at the end of the day. <laughs> it's interesting how that works. Yeah. It's kind of like we need to we need to flow. Right? Like energy doesn't like stagnation. Like it wants, you know, as you use energy, it flows back into you and you are replenished. Mm. But if we don't use it, it's just stagnant. And it even builds up that you can, you know, sense more energy even. The more I try to focus on it and, and feel it the more i can actually notice it and feel yeah just i don't know if it, it, it like is more intense but it certainly does feel a little bit by opening up towards it and now just following for example this and the other thing that um recently really came to my mind um i was doing it already but now it's just the main focus I really want to spend most of my time just doing podcasts and doing coachings, because that is just, I don't know, I want to learn how to do that really well. And because the experiences of it, if it's going right, but also even if it doesn't, um, it's just really fulfilling, as you said. And I was recently reading the book from Malcolm Gladwell about outliers, uh -huh. or I'm still reading it. And there's the, he was talking about the eight, uh, 10,000 hour rule of like to master a certain skill, right, that, that you can be on a professional level, let's say. And not so much about being like the greatest at it. But just having this notion of, is there something in your life that you would be really happy spending that much time for you or with mm. and i was like immediately yeah i just if i could do ten thousand hours of just podcasting and coaching i, yeah. I would do that <laughs> like, I, no doubt it was like those were the things that popped up to my mind i was like yeah i'm in totally totally and so that was yeah, a nice I'm, I'm 
I'm very similar in that regard. I think that for me, it's it's yeah, talking to people about about truth and and consciousness and exploring that. Hmm. that definitely gives me energy yeah it's just a, a nice concept to sort of question sometimes like uh, what would you like to spend 10,000 hours on <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not about you know actually getting to the level of proficiency of what people think is great but just what do you think you like that much and what is the the, the sort of I guess heart center or gut feeling that tells you I think I would like to do that if obviously money and whatever uh, duties don't matter what would you like to do I mean the real indicator I think is energy levels right mm -hmm. like if, if you do something and it makes you more excited and more energetic then it, it's not worth to keep doing it because it energizes you yeah Whereas if you're doing something, yeah, exactly, and it drains you, like, no matter how much you think that may be what you want, it, uh, it's not going to change how much it energizes or drains you. Mm. Although, quite funny right now, that my stomach is going mad right now because I'm so hungry. <laughs> so I do need some <laughs> energy too, to sustain yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 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 quite funny that just in that moment made the noise the first time um yeah but i no i, to, I totally agree yes it's but i and I it's do, probably the perfect time to yeah to wrap up yeah <laughs> yeah i still wanted to to let you give uh i wanted to give you a i don't know a, a time is 30 seconds a minute or a topic that if we didn't touch upon but you felt it's you have a pull towards that's important to say or share. I think I said it already, you know, just that, you know, the most fulfilling thing for anyone to do is, is to follow that, that inner pull to what energizes and excites and interests them. And, you know, we know if, if we're following that or not, you know, like on, only we know. No one can really tell us if, if we're following that or not. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that's, I think that was a good thing to, a good something to end with. Hmm. This conversation was deeply energizing for me. And uh, thank you so much for, yeah, the time, the, the energy that you spend as well in it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that we found the time to do that. It's really, really cool. I love it so much. And thank you too. I mean, this, this, has, this has fed me as well. Mm, I'm glad Absolutely. to hear that. All right.